This week's episode of the Star Wars Report is brought to you by the good folks supporting us over on patreon.com slash Report. Let's do the show, folks. Gum, gum, gum. And who might you be? It's the Star Wars Report. Star Wars Report. Woo! Star Wars Report. The place for Star Wars news, features, interviews, and more. Then we can do something epic. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Please delete as appropriate. The Force. It's calling to you. Just let it in. Is The Force Awakens just a repeat of A New Hope? It's a it's a topic that's come up from time to time, and one that actually I talked about right after The Force Awakens initially came out uh, back in like January 2016, right after the theatrical release. Hey guys, uh, I'm Riley Blanton, your host for the Stars Report podcast, and we are doing another retro rewind, looking back at The Force Awakens with special guest Chris Taylor author of How Star Wars Conquered the Universe. If you guys haven't had a chance to catch this interview from back when, like I say, when The Force Awakens first uh, came out, I really wanted to take an opportunity to showcase this really great conversation I had with Chris back when The Force Awakens first came out, especially now in the context of the, the sequel trilogy being complete. I think we find some new meaning here, so I hope you enjoy this episode of the Star Wars Report podcast. Star Wars Report Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're very excited about tonight's show. We've got a very special guest, as we're going to be talking about, well, that book that Riley keeps ranting and raving on about. It's How Star Wars Conquered the Universe. I'm super excited for today's show. Let's do it right now. Falcons flight with destiny. Millennium Falcons fly with Destiny. That's at least how we call it here at the Star Wars Report Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in in the brand new year here. It's 2016, a year of yet another Star Wars movie release. Rogue One coming up. Uh, But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Chris Taylor. How's it going, Chris? Welcome to the show. It's going great. Thanks for having me, Riley. I'm so excited uh, to have you on. And um, I have no idea if you remember any of this, which is why I said none of it before I just started the show uh, with you on Skype. And that is uh, uh, your incredible book, which uh, everyone on this podcast has has heard me uh, going on and on about how amazing it is. (laughs) Uh, I have bought many copies of it and shelled it out to unsuspecting Christmas gift recipients. I have... (laughs) I have, uh, appreciate it. I so, but there's a funny story about uh, about your uh, incredible book, and that is back at uh, Star Wars Celebration, 
Celebration Anaheim this past, uh, I guess, last year now. Um, I, I had the pleasure of going to this kind of big podcaster get-together at the bottom of the Hilton Hotel. And uh, and who do I hear but this f- familiar, uh, sophisticated British voice in the background <laughs> that I recognize from the awesome Full of Sith podcast. And I'm like, oh, it's Chris Taylor. He wrote that book that I haven't read yet. And so I walked up to you, and I, I'm nothing if not honest, sir. And I said, wow, I've really liked your appearances on Full of Sith, and I follow you on Twitter. I really like what you've had to say about Star Wars. Haven't had a chance to read the book yet or anything. And and doggone it, if you don't just do the nicest thing, and you actually signed and gave me a copy right there, like all good authors do, you had a co- you were like carrying copies of your book right there with you, which is just awesome. I think uh, that was the one of the few times I did actually have a spare copy. So you you were just fortunate oh, like, enough to be in the right place at the right time. There and, we go. Yeah, that it was that was, uh, that was a great uh, great evening there with the, the podcast gathering. No, it well. was absolutely, but uh, but the story doesn't end there. It takes a it takes a dark turn, not unlike Uh-oh. the original trilogy. Mm. Um, I I I I have a lot of siblings, Chris, and Uh-oh. I'm gonna as as I do as the youngest sibling of of the six of us. I'm gonna lay the blame on somebody else. Of course, uh, and that is to say that I I right now have in my proud possession uh, the jacket of how Star Wars conquered the universe, <laughs> but I do not have the uh, the actual hardback copy, and so uh, I because I lent it out over the summer to I have no idea who now Grant you could say like if my siblings were here to defend themselves which they're not uh, they would say that I have a terrible uh, pattern of misplacing items, but I mm. would say. Since you're not here to defend yourself, ghost of Riley siblings, I'm just going to lay the blame on you. But that being said, I did eventually, after being chastised by a friend of the show, Justin Robert Young, uh, from, of course, uh, the Weird Things podcast and Night Attack. uh, He's like, all right, dude, it's time. So in the week leading into The Force Awakens, I gobbled that thing up on audiobook, and it was just a fantastic ride. And and folks have heard heard me say it before, but I feel like my condensed version of why i love this book is it is a a thorough complete and fun uh telling that threads together multiple factors that have really led to this cultural phenomenon that is star wars and it it puts it in a kind of perspective that as someone who podcasts about it every week kind of tends to individualize and compartmentalize the impact so I, I, it really kind of, I think, helped, um, for lack of a better term, just to explain uh, why we're all here talking about Star Wars. Indeed, yeah. It, it's, well, it, it really is the first book to sort of pull back and give you, give you the whole picture, um, which I was surprised to discover no one, no one had actually done before. But it's kind of like, you know, it's like a fish trying to write about water. I mean, Star Wars surrounds us, penetrates us, binds us together, and it, it's, it's really... You know, we we sort of know all this stuff in a way, or we we know some of this stuff, but it's you know seeing it all together in one place, tying the narrative together, talking about both the fans and the uh, the creation uh, itself. Um, yeah, you know, it, it it produces a different kind of feeling when you when you uh, read it all in one place. That that is that is amazing. Yeah, and and I wanted to get into a few specific things that kind of stuck with me from the book as well, and then we'll just kind of see where the conversation takes us. But but let's just start with um, what was the genesis for this project? When did you decide that uh, that this was a book the world needed? Well, the, the, I I tell the story a lot, but there were there were really two two genesises, genesis, <laughs> um, beginnings. Let's go with that. <laughs> there you go. Uh, firstly, the um, 
the discovery that uh, one of our writers at Mashable, which is where I work, and I'm the deputy editor, uh, had not seen uh, a, a single Star Wars movie um, was, was quite exciting for us. This was about 2011, I think. And uh, so we sat her down. We made her live blog the uh, her watching of the original movie and it was the fact that it wasn't you know we didn't get the the sort of 1970 1977 vibe that we were that we were looking for that kind of <laughs> oh wow this is all so fresh and original and new uh reaction uh instead you know christine who's a lovely soul um recognized so much of it and and you know some so much of it was familiar not just the the sort of movie language that that star wars created uh, that has been imitated many times since, um, but also you know the content, the characters, the the plot twists. It was all familiar to her, and she hadn't seen a single minute of Star Wars. So that started me thinking: Can we find anyone who is not familiar with with any of Star Wars? Um, and you know, so that was one project going along, and then the realization, uh, as I say, you know, that there were, there had been no one single history of the entire franchise that wrapped it all up, uh, with a Nepo and, and talked about everything. Um, you know, that, that realization came along when I, I wrote an opinion piece in October, 2012, right when Lucasfilm was sold to Disney and the opinion piece did very well. got picked up by the official star Wars, uh, page and Facebook, uh, page and uh you know it was very widely distributed it was one of the first pieces to say hey actually you know guys disney's going to be a good good steward of the franchise um, i remember that piece yes and and that was that was so popular that you know a a uh, a book agent i'd been working with got in touch and said well hey maybe, maybe there's a book here has anyone written a book about you know star wars the entire history of star wars i was like of course they've done it it's and then I, I looked into it, and of course we we had um, Skywalking, uh, the, yeah. the first biography of George Lucas. We we had um, the book that was previously called Myth Maker, and then I think just became called George Lucas: A Biography. Um, we had, uh, of course, Michael Kaminsky wrote the Secret History of Star Wars, which is sort of less. It's it's kind of less on the radar for a lot of people, not a mainstream book, but you know that did a good job of sort of telling the narrative of how George was flying by the seat of his pants a lot when he wrote it. Um, you know, Michael, you know, I, I got in touch with him. I talked to him. He's, he's a very good guy and very uh, great researcher. He dug up a lot of stuff and, and told an interesting narrative. But that wasn't really the whole story because you have to talk about how Star Wars affected the world, uh, how it conquered our cultural universe, uh, yes. as, as well as just the George Lucas story. So no one had done that. And, you know, so I saw that opening, and obviously there was there was a lot of interest in that from publishers, and I was sort of celebrating for about five minutes, saying, "Wow, you know, no one else has done this, and I'm going to get to do this." And um, and then after those five minutes, uh, you know, the, the sort of very heavy burden of responsibility kicked in, that sort of feeling of, "Oh, if if I get this wrong, there will be hell to pay." <laughs> uh, you know, the, the fans will not forgive me. I I got to do justice to this, um, and so yeah, it was it was a two year labor of love and uh, wow. not a whole lot of sleeping went down in those two years. And uh, at, the, at the end of it, I I mean, you know, that that's really I wrote so much more than it is contained in the book, and I I think I wrote on the first pass about one hundred and sixty thousand words. 
and I had to lose about 40,000 of those. Oh, it was wow. really a ruthless process. Oh, no. No. When is the special <laughs> edition coming out? <laughs> <laughs> well, as we know, as you know, some of us feel about the special editions, you know, the, you put extraneous material in, it does kind of slow it down. So I, I really, you know, my goal throughout was just to answer the question posed by the title, how did Star Wars conquer the universe? And there were many areas of that where I wanted to get into it deeper, but I really wanted this to be a, just a one volume survey that that answered every possible answer to that question you know every possible reason that you couldn't think of has to be contained in here somewhere so hopefully that's what i've done i know and what what kind of surprised me is that um uh, chris i'm from a generation that uh so, so i'm i'm 24 mm-hmm. and i'm from a generation that is uh, grew up with the prequels and right. I've kind of, I wasn't even really kind of aware of Star Wars in terms of the online fandom until maybe around 2008, 2009, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, me and my friends back in high school around the time of Vent of the Sith were, were hanging out and talking about it and uh, reenacting scenes from the films with our lightsabers and inventing complex uh, role-playing games and LARPing mm-hmm. before we knew what it was, what LARPing was. You know, we were, we were doing all of that, but... By the time I was kind of aware of a lot of what you talk about in the book, the different aspects of of Star Wars, like the Five O First, like the R two Builders, um, mm-hmm. when you touch on these these cultural elements of the of of the fandom, uh, I kind of was of a mind and of a, um, I guess, of an impression that Star Wars had kind of always been that way. It's like, oh, well, they were always you know, Five O First has been around forever. I didn't realize that, like, at the time I was getting into. Uh, you know, the early days of Star Wars blogging and podcasting and discovering friends on, on the internet, right? When that was becoming a thing you could do, I kind of assumed that, like, oh, yeah, the 501st, they've always been around doing stuff. Little did I know that, like, your, your book kind of gave me some perspective on, like, that stuff really only started in the genesis of the prequel era. It, it wasn't like that. It, it's, it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's this sort of underground passion that's always been there that, only in the recent, say, 10 to 15 years has really fully exploded. That's kind of what your book had me um, when, I, when I closed the proverbial audiobook pages, right? That's yes. kind of what it left me with. Yeah, and, and I sort of, you know, this is one of the most surprising things that I came away with, that so much of what we associate with Star Wars, so much of fandom, so much of merchandising, um, came from, you know, after 1997. After the special editions came out, that seems to be uh, have been the starting gun for a lot of what we now consider to be Star Wars fandom. Uh, it was certainly the beginnings of the uh, of the Five of First, um, which, by the way, would not have existed without the internet. Uh, and same with the R Two Builders Club that, that was sort of sparked by the by the uh, by the special editions, by the re releasing, uh, and uh, and really picked up steam around about the prequels. So. You know, you, you've really touched on, you know, a couple of the main reasons why we have the, the fandom the way that it exists today. You know, number one, the internet. And, uh, number two, the, the special editions and the prequels. It really, you know, I mean, that the majority of, um, action figures came out after 1997, if you do a, you know, straight mathematical analysis. Um, and it's funny because we, we remember 1977 and we, you know, we tell a story about the long lines and we, we talk about what a big impact Star Wars made on movie making and uh, it became a cultural phenomenon. But that wasn't that really wasn't the whole story. And I yeah. don't think that it would 
be remembered the way it is today and it wouldn't have the impact that it has today without that sort of second wave. Yes. Um, and if you like a third wave with, with the prequels as well and the, um, and the kind of fandom that, that you're talking about that, you know, that you're part of that emerged in, uh, you know, in, in 2007 onwards, I would say the social media fandom. Yes. Um, you know, I think Star Wars really, Star Wars fandom really takes off with, with Twitter, with Facebook. Um, and with the fact that it's so easy for, you know, um, isolated nerds for want of a better term who are in, you know, communities that don't necessarily share their passions to, to go online and realize, Oh, well, actually it sort of feels like I'm in the majority here. Absolutely. And it's one of those things that, um, I, I discovered that that's really very much my story. Uh, and it's interesting because when you talk about it, I, I think a good example is, uh, growing up, um, a lot of the, of the cherished stories that I grew up with, uh, I hold in, in equal value. In fact, like the mythology mm. behind Tolkien's Middle Earth is something that, uh, it has captured my heart and soul in a way as, as a, as a young teen that, uh, Star Wars never did. It's very mm. different. In the same thing with, uh, a few years earlier when I first read the Chronicles of Narnia. And there are these mm. uh, amazing mythologies that, that, you know, uh, that, that, that I think have influenced us so much, but there is something very special about the communal aspect of Star Wars fandom that really only has given rise. It seemed, at least, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but it seemed like somewhat dormant until the age of the internet. And, and I, could you talk a little bit about why you think that is? What is, what is it about Star Wars that really, uh, influences that communal aspect of the, of the fan community? I think it's because it is so it's so widespread in our culture. You say Star Wars, everyone knows what you're talking about, and it's also so easy to get in. I mean, I you know this is the other big revelation that came through writing the book is that Star Wars fandom is so accepting and so open, and I would venture to say more so than any other fandom out there. Uh, you know, I'm not a, not a huge Trekkie, but my understanding is that there's no sort of you know, you kind of have to know the canon of Star Trek. You kind of have to um, have seen a, quite a bit of it, at least the entire original series, which is, what, how many hours of viewing? Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're a TNG fan and you have to watch it, at least a couple <laughs> of seasons of that. With Star Wars, all you need to do to be part of this fandom is to have watched the original two-hour movie. You know, it's just two hours of your life, and most of us have done it already. Uh, you know, we may need a refresher. Um, but as long as you've seen that movie, you're in. You know, you can go to Celebration and hold your head up high with everyone else. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there are people who, there are the old timers who feel, you know, some of them feel, I, I know many 501st members who feel that there are only just two Star Wars movies, right? You know, they, they don't even acknowledge the existence of Return of the Jedi. Uh, I'm going to have to go back to those guys and see if they acknowledge The Force Awakens as a third movie, you know. Um, but that's fine. They can still go trooping. They can go trooping sure. alongside clone troopers. Um, and, you know, everyone, there's this, just this totally accepting nature to fandom that, that really belies the image of uh, the war over the prequels, right? The war over whether they're good movies or not. It doesn't matter. For the most part, people just get along. And uh, I, I think that's the special thing about Star Wars. It's also the fact that there are just so many entry points, right? You know, maybe, maybe you've 
I mean, everyone should see the original movie, obviously, but but there are plenty of people who came to it through Clone Wars. Sure. Um, or I was actually just on uh, on tour in in Brazil with with the uh, legendary Timothy Zahn, um, which uh, was a yes. wonderful experience. And he pointed out to me that his kids got at Star Wars through Ewoks and droids. You know, the, the 1985 oh, wow. cartoons. That was where they first encountered it. So. You know, there's many entry points. I mean, and you could say the same of Tolkien, right? You know, you could either read sure. The Hobbit first or read Lord of the Rings, or maybe you're really strange and you came to, through the Silmarillion or, or something the, like that. But, or you watched the Rankin-Bass <laughs> animated movies. Yeah, but it's not quite the same thing. I mean, you really have to have read Lord of the Rings or seen all the Lord of the Rings movies. It's like, you know, if you're a Tolkien fan and you've only read The Hobbit, it's not quite the same as if you're a star wars fan and you've only seen star wars it, that's so true that is so true and and that i think that is a big distinctive aspect uh, that that mm. you really have to um uh, account for when you talk about the the phenomenon of why there aren't tolkien celebrations and there are star wars mm. celebrations uh as much yeah, as you know uh, narnia i love i love the narnia books but you kind of have to have read all of them mostly <laughs> maybe <laughs> at least three or four right to get the whole story um yeah, and, and Star Wars is just so so welcoming in the sense of you watch watch one episode and you pretty much got the whole notion. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about how The Force Awakens is well, they use the the dreaded word remake, right? But they're they're noticing the echoes and callbacks. Uh, you know, let's say that's that's actually what they're trying to say, um, <laughs> yeah. and that's but that's deliberate. That's because every Every Star Wars movie has that. Even, even the Clone Wars have echoes and calls back, callbacks. There's just a certain style to it. Um, it is the hero's journey told over and over again. So it's, you know, that that is an advantage in that it's it's really easy to spread that to a large number of people very fast. Absolutely, and it's one of those things that if you're if you're in touch with that um, that aspect of it, it, it really does, I think only make it more and more of um of a of a i guess visceral experience as mm. as a star wars fan and, and i think uh, well and and you kind of touched on it briefly i think this is something that i've i've wanted to ask you for a while but like if you were to condense <clears throat> and boil down your thoughts onto what exactly is as as someone who's really done a lot of research on all of george lucas's strengths and weaknesses and who mm. his involvement with the original films uh, what is George Lucas's role as the creator of Star Wars? Like, if someone asked that question, I I feel like that's something that's been much debated. It's something that's uh, people feel very differently about, depending on who you ask. But like, what's Chris Taylor's perspective on it? Well, the the way that that I always put it, you know, after looking into his life and and looking, especially looking at all of the interviews he's done and how his story has changed, um. You know, you have to look at what the constants are in his story. And the biggest constant is that it started with Flash Gordon. And uh, that's that's the reason why I call Star Wars Flash Gordon fan fiction. Um, because that, that's really how it started. Just yeah. as, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey started off as Twilight fan fiction. We all know that story. Um, you know, Star Wars was, was very much uh, created because George couldn't get the rights to do flash gordon and then in so doing or in so not doing he realized that he actually didn't want to remake flash gordon because he wasn't a fan of emperor ming and you know the sort of racial overtones that, yeah. that the flash gordon comic had um 
so you know he he just started afresh and if you look at those those first few pages he wrote of the journal of the wills mm-hmm. and and mace windy and all of that you really get that fl- that fan fiction feel well and what's interesting cuz like when i hear you say that i think i understand what where you're coming from uh, what i think what's a, a listener to the this podcast right now that can they can sound a little irre, uh, irreverent right cuz mm. like because star wars is something that we all hold so dearly of it had very modest pop beginnings that i think it's important to recognize that as it's important a to recognize that and and especially because that explains how george treated it and uh you know dave filoni tells the story about how you know that he and george were talking clone wars and you know i I forget what it was i don't even know if he revealed what they were actually talking about but it was some sort of crucial canonical aspect of the clone wars right and and george is just sort of sitting there sketching it out uh i believe literally on the back of a napkin (laughs) and and he just you know filoni talks about uh his amazement that this guy was just you know treating it kind of irreverently in in a way you're just saying oh yeah we could do this and oh yeah we'll we'll invent this character and we'll you know we'll say that this thing is canon and and you know feloni talks about that moment as as his revelation that well of course he treats it like that you know this that's how he's treated the whole thing all along it's just it's his creation it's hard to be reverential about yourself Right. And I your, think that's, your own works. No, absolutely. I, and I think that's still a point of maybe confusion, maybe even contention that's that's mm. evident in, in George Lucas's Oprah interview from a couple of years back when he talked about, mm. like, I'll never get to see Star Wars. That's what he said. Yeah. And yeah. I remember watching that and it really being a uh, a moment where I really, I think, began to understand George Lucas as a creator that mm. made me um, sympathetic to both his critics and sympathetic to him as a creative genius at at the same time. It's kind of weird how that works. And, and even, you know, the news this week of George Lucas, it's, it's, Mm. I mean, it's new, but it's, uh, but it's old, you know, Uh, all of this has happened before and all of it will happen again. But we have a man who I wouldn't use the word tortured, but as, as a creator, I think it's a very bittersweet moment for him. And you see a moment of, of white, uh, of of uh, well of honest I'm 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 tipping myself uh, of of raw honesty when he kind of characterizes and of course walked back on another phrase of basically selling his children into slavery is kind yes. of the comparison he used and I think I don't if you watch it in its full context it's something that he's meaning I think somewhat in jest as a way of oh, yes. using hyperbole to characterize his emotions in the moment of course it I makes a great headline of what George says is actually in jest I mean, <laughs> people take him way too seriously this is true this is true but it is um, it's so true it's like this this moment that of course it makes great blog headlines uh, mm-hmm. but but yeah, I, I guess even today, uh, looking at, um, I guess we'll transition a little bit into The Force Awakens, we see a Star Wars that doesn't really have, it has the um, the ghost of George Lucas past influence on it, but I don't think mm. it really has the actual fingerprints of George Lucas as, say, The Clone Wars did and many other recent projects. Yeah, and I think George was always going to have a hard time with The Force Awakens, to be honest, because he yep. is, you know, and I think he would he would go up to this as well, he's a control freak. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It it did produce 
the the sort of the, the level of perfectionism that he has. So he, you know, he sketches his ideas out in the back of a napkin, but then he is, you know, so so vigorous in defending what the original vision that he sketched out was. Um, you know, and you can see that in in his Star Wars process. You know, he writes the scripts really fast, yeah, and, and then just rewrites them and re- rewrites them and rewrites them. Uh, you know, which was a technique he learned on the first movie. You know, the faster he goes, the better it is. You know, he's always going to be sort of self-doubting about it, so you might as well just do it really he, fast. Let's be it. honest. George Lucas kind of writes a Star Wars script like I write my college papers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it was, uh, you know, what, what I used to call in uh, at college in England, uh, essay crisis night. You know, <laughs> that one night where you just stay up all night, once a week, and... Uh, you know, fuel yourself with coffee, and after a while, you just get into the habit of doing that. And George completely got into the habit of doing that. It's how he wrote the prequels. Uh, he, you know, just write these drafts really fast, but not really be satisfied until about three days before filming began. You know, when he finally let someone else look at the script he's created. Um, but at the same time, he sort of really, kind of, almost doesn't care about. You know, that that's not fair. It's not that he doesn't care about details when he's writing it. It's that he's, I don't know, he's he's more spontaneous about it. I mean, you think yeah. of the uh, the brilliant Sifo-Dyas anecdote. You know, the fact that it, that character's name was originally supposed to be Sido-Dyas. Uh, kind of an obvious <laughs> reference to Sidious, right? Um, and he thought, well, maybe that's too obvious. Maybe, maybe they won't hear it. Maybe they won't get it. Uh, but then his secretary makes a misprint uh, in typing up his... his uh, almost illegible um you know pencil on paper notes yes what he's so and, famous for yeah and then and sifo ds is born and he just sort of runs with it <laughs> and you know it's it's the just sort of running it with it you know with whatever ends up on paper um that i think is is where he's sort of loose plays fast and loose but then it's like once it's on paper that's that is going to be filmed, uh, you know, to within an inch of its life, and he's going to defend that vision. <laughs> and he's always—I mean, he, he made this reference to selling his children into slavery, um, but he's always referred to his movies as his children. And uh, right back to THX one one three eight and American Graffiti, both of which were edited by the studios after mm-hmm. George had turned them in, and he right from the beginning made the analogy that. The studios were, you know, chopping off a finger from from yeah. his children, you know, and they're saying it won't hurt. And he's like, but they're my kids, you know. So he's he's had that analogy his whole life. I think that that's the context you need for that joke. Yeah, um, no, that's true. And that goes, that's not like he, he was said that in 2004. No, he was saying that way back yeah. in the 70s. Exactly. So, you know, so there's that. And also, I mean, yeah, for, for a control freak who considers Star Wars to be his child, uh, I think seeing someone else's version of it is is always going to be hard. Absolutely. Um, I mean, he had a terrible time uh, on Empire Strikes Back, which is up until now the Star Wars movie over which he had the the least influence over filming. Right? With uh, yeah. With Return of the Jedi, he was basically, um, you know, lead director, uh, and Mark Wand was was less in charge than than it might appear. Um. So, you know, that was really his film in a lot of ways. Uh, but, you know, the, the fact that he had so much uh, respect for, for Irvin Kirshner on, on uh, Empire, 
um, you know, and, and really said that he was going to see the uh, running of that movie, mm-hmm. made it really hard for him and uh, and his inner control freak. So the the idea that that someone is taking your child and and um, you know twisting in ways that you're not authorized, that's yeah. I I don't imagine that there's any universe in which George Lucas had an easy time with the Force Awakens. Well, exactly. And I think what's interesting is, as someone who's a a huge is of course a lot of this has been a process that's actually like chronicled on this podcast of my um it's most obvious when you listen back as my order of favorite star wars film has shifted over the years Mm -hmm. uh since seeing the preschool and uh, excuse me since seeing the prequels before and then during high school um and and what's so funny about it is that as i've kind of uh matured i've i have a very distinct appreciation for george luke's visual uh storytelling mm. and his the sort of language that he uses to tell his stories and i have a very distinct appreciation for his creative mind uh and i but i think as i've as i've gotten older and it's on this podcast i've i think become as empire slowly rose up through the ranks and is now my favorite film i have uh, even more of an appreciation for the importance of characterization and dialogue and the characters mm. that you have to fall in love with to an extent that is missing a little bit from the prequels and that's as someone who is kind of i consider myself a, a big defender of the prequels at least in their contribution to the mythology in a unique and entertaining way that introduced me to Star Wars. So I, I don't think that could be undersold, but at the same time, you have to be honest, when we look at The Force Awakens today, and I, of course I just got out of um, my fifth screening with some family members mm-hmm. who hadn't seen it yet uh, yesterday, oh, and nice. uh, I, I've, the first time I watched it, there's a lot of what I would consider jarring uh, in terms of the language, the visual language of storytelling that J.J. Abrams uses. It's very distinct from Star Wars. So what's fascinating to me as the conversation about this film has continued is uh, there's been a narrative that's formed that maybe points fingers at either positively or mostly negatively at at the similarities uh, between plot beats and characterization uh, beats and, and moments throughout the film that very closely parallel parts of the original trilogy. What's funny for me is that as someone who's who's watched uh, all of these films so many times, for me, I was like, wow, this is a really different... I mean, it's kind of hard to get used to it. So, to, And then, of course, the big kind of prevailing complaint seems to be the similarities. So I think... Yeah. I, what's your perspective on... Uh, now that we're kind of in the midst of the Force Awakens whirlwind, uh, uh, Chris, give us your perspective on kind of what this film... It, what makes this film distinct, maybe, <laughs> instead of what makes it so similar? Because we—that's what we've kind of all yeah. talked about at length. So I, th- far. I think you—you you put your finger on it. That the, the more familiar you are with Star Wars, the more of a different movie this is. Um, yes. And also, I think that the more that you see it, the more different it is. Um, I think you know the first screening of The Force Awakens for any Star Wars fan mm-hmm. uh, is is difficult uh, because you're sitting there on the edge of your seat. Kind of almost leaning into the screen. Uh, certainly, I was, I was down there at the world premiere, you know, and it was big, big fancy affair. But I was still sort of on the edge of my seat, kind of, you know, in my head, going, "Don't screw it up! Don't screw it up!" <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you're just sort of willing the whole thing to be good. Um, yeah, you know, you're really sort of involved in it in that way. And then the second time, you know exactly what's going to happen, so you can just relax and watch, you know, enjoy the details immerse yourself in this universe and you're just sort of there's this pleasant feeling that washes over you oh i'm, I'm gonna 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to spend another couple of hours in the GFFA, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, and it, it's great. You just relax and immerse. And um, yeah, I mean, I you know, I wrote a I wrote an article because I was so annoyed with the number of people who say that this is just a retread, it's a remake. Um, <laughs> and I I sort I sort of know what they're talking about because I sort of had some of those feelings the first time around, but I a I don't think that anyone's saying that has seen it twice. Um, and B, yeah. you know, the more you examine it, the more it falls apart. Well, let's talk. You know, all right, uh, let's talk about it for a second because you you are prepared. You are armed with yes. with with uh, perspective on this that you've thought it through well. But I think like the most telling difference is that the mentor dies right in the middle of the third mm-hmm. act. Like that mm-hmm. is not something we've ever seen in Star Wars. We're used to getting at least some sort of celebratory release and that there's some sense of triumph and sacrifice. And here, it's just like, all right, Han Solo died, and we really don't fully appreciate why. And it's a tragedy mm-hmm. on the level that it wasn't the case with Qui-Gon, certainly wasn't the case with Obi-Wan. There's a sense of finality uh, and willingness. Uh, but there's a, But with this film, it's just like, Hopes just dashed with the with the manufacturer of this unwieldy and raw evil lightsaber represented by the sort of unwieldy and raw plot twist that this serves. So while, while there's the comparison you can make with either the Phantom Menace or, of course, especially a new hope that most people are when it comes to this sacrifice, it's it's incredibly different. Yeah, it, it's hard to imagine how they could have made it more different. Then uh, I, I think what people are comparing it to is, is the death of Obi Wan, which happens roughly around the same point in New Hope. But so what? You know, it's an entirely different character. He dies in an entirely different way. He doesn't want to die, whereas Obi Wan is sort of resigned to his death. Mm-hmm. Uh, Han just wants wants to bring his son home. And uh, you know, really, the more you examine it, the more this notion that it that it's a retread completely falls apart. I mean. Yes, Han is now a believer in the Jedi and the Force, but that doesn't really make him a mentor in the same way that Obi-Wan was. You know, and he sort of haltingly tries to offer Rey a job or says he's thinking about it. Um, but he's just sort of, you know, he's still cranky old Han. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's the guy we know and love. And, uh, you know, has obviously made some mistakes and uh, is trying to put it right and trying to, trying to put things right with Leia. Um. Yeah, you know, it, <laughs> it it does make me angry sometimes when people say it's oh, it's just another Obi Wan situation. Yeah, but, but you know, I think what's interesting is that I I feel like um even remix is a bit too strong of a word. There are a mm. lot of really fun, familiar elements in the mm. film. Um, but it's but also a lot of really unfamiliar elements. And so, like when you see a giant tracking shot of the X wing. You can compare that to the giant tracking shot uh, of the opening of Revenge of the Sith, but it's extremely different because it's a stationary or almost stationary camera shot. So while I'm getting kind of into the weeds in terms of detail, you have shots like that. You have the ending of the film is done from a Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson style helicopter drone shot of Luke Skywalker. Like there's a lot that's so... um, unfamiliar that it takes a lot of getting used to for someone who's definitely a huge uh st- student i guess of of the george lucas form of storytelling yeah. but upon it, repeated... it ends on a cliffhanger oh which, yeah which star wars has never really done before 
Um, you know, you could say that the Empire Strikes Back ending is sort of a cliffhanger because nothing's resolved, but it's a, it's a bit more. You know, we've we've reached a a point of where where we're satisfied, right? We see that Lando and Chewie are going off in the Falcon, and we see that Luke and Leia, are, you know, at the uh, the medical ship, wa- you I'm know, going waving to, them off, basically. I'm going to totally uh, see. I feel that uh, again, my my poor uh, Homo sapien brain can't uh, can't quite function to the point that I wish it would. But there's this incredible podcast. I think I've mentioned it briefly on the show, but um, it's the Story Wonk Star Wars podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the host has a great episode on Empire Strikes Back talking about it, that it, it really isn't, at least from the classic sense of storytelling, a cliffhanger. And, of course, he has a, a brilliant uh, writer's term for, for the way it ends that, of course, I can't remember. But suffice to say, there is a sense of tension left with the film, but there's mm-hmm. no immediate plot that we just don't know what's going to happen and in the case of the force awakens we honestly don't have a appreciation for how or why kylo ren got to the point where he can run his father through his chest with a lightsaber we have hints but that i think is the central it's a plot point that we have to know i think to understand han's death and as someone who grew up absolutely in love with the character of Han Solo to justify mm. his sacrifice to an extent that I feel, or at least I hope as a, as a fan, uh, that it, it, it does. Yeah. And, and obviously we're, we're going to find out much more about Kylo Ren. You know, we, we have the, uh, foreshadowing of, of his training at the hands of Snoke, mm-hmm. uh, which I would imagine will, will take up at least a portion of, of episode eight. In fact, you know, you could look at, episode i mean episode seven is sort of like the two heroes journeys right the two beginnings of the heroes journeys for both ray and finn uh episode eight i would imagine is going to be the the two trainings uh mm. the training of kylo ren and the training of ray uh you know they they may be in progress as we uh, as want... we meet them again but um but that's really the next part of the story here both I, of those i just really really want a are... uh really want a rocky style uh training montage please for kylo ren uh, <laughs> i'd love that a star wars training montage oh my goodness chris wow this has been an absolutely incredible episode and uh, far better than i could have possibly hoped for thanks so much for coming on to the program and offering You're your welcome, insights and and just and giving me a copy of a book that i promise i will get my hands on at some point <laughs> You know, just just put that dust jacket on another book. You know, <laughs> just pretend. Kind of just pretend. Stick it on your shelf, and no, but but also, you know, the the paperback. It's good good to get a copy of the paperback. I think I gave you the hardback. Yes, because I got. Uh, new... I was unaware of it, but I uh, in some of the Christmas presents I I purchased, uh, and I got a couple copies. Uh, there's some awesome added material on the paperback edition. Yeah, well, when I when I wrote the hardback, we didn't even know the name The Force Awakens. We didn't know the names of anyone who was oh, yeah, appearing in it. Yeah, that's right. Um, and this is my vision for the book that it was, you know, that I will always update it. That, um, every time we get a new Star Wars movie, uh, you know, I will add a new chapter. Now, I don't know how long my publishers are going to let me keep doing that, but, uh, but that's definitely the vision going forward. So yeah, there's an extra chapter on The Force Awakens. Uh, I talked to uh, Jason Ward, making Star Wars, about ah. how, how he got all those spoilers. Um, and, uh, you know, the fan reaction to the trailers is in there. So, yeah, yeah, new information. That is awesome, awesome. It's The book is How Star Wars Conquered the Universe. If you have not read it, 
what are you doing? Uh, go go buy it right now. You get the paperback with the awesome bonus content. Or if you're an audio guy like me, uh, you can go to audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report and get, uh, get it for free. So, um, uh, yeah, it's been, an, it's been an amazing time. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. And where can folks find you? Uh, they best to find me on Twitter at FutureBoy. And uh, go to Mashable.com for, for all my latest writings and uh, many, many more. Awesome sauce, man. Yeah, at Future Boy. Be sure to follow. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at Star Wars Report. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well. It's at The Riley Guy. Uh, R-I-L-E-Y. That's the same for Instagram, Snapchat, all that good stuff. Uh, also, make sure you email us at StarWarsReport at gmail.com. Uh, and also, you can uh, keep track of everything we're doing at StarWarsReport.com. Uh, finally, if you've enjoyed this program, uh, there are two things that you can do if you want to support us. You can toss in a few coins over at Patreon.com slash Report and support the show there. Uh, we really do appreciate everyone who's, uh, who's come on board there in the recent months uh, and really helped take the show to the next level and help us with our equipment woes and hosting costs and all that uh, cost that comes along with doing this show for you guys. So we appreciate all of you supporting us there and, of course, appreciate everyone who's gone in uh, and in the future will go in to starwarsreport.com slash iTunes and uh, go straight through that link and head to the iTunes store and leave us a review. We thank everyone who's done that, and uh, it really does help the show. So we appreciate uh, you tuning in. That's going to do it for this episode of the Star Wars Report podcast. Until next time, may the Force be with you. And remember, many Bothans died to bring you this podcast. Oh, man. Chris, thanks so much. This is an absolute blast. Yeah, yeah. I had fun. Thanks so much. All right. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm crazy because I'm doing um, a ton of...